Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name's Dave Marr. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I was in a coma, and now I've got questions for guests such as my friend, good buddy from back in the days when I started stand-up in Chicago. He now lives in London. His name is Owen Black. He recently did stand-up again for the the one time a year he does it on his birthday, We talk about that in the podcast. We talk about his creative pursuits. Owen is one of my favorite dudes to talk to, one of the most fascinating guys to talk to. He thinks in like Zen Coens sometimes, and I love him for it. I think you will really enjoy this conversation. Also, you can hear the full-length conversation, as always, on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. Owen is a patron. You could be a patron too for just five bucks. You can become an afterhead for 15 bucks. You can become a pigeon level patron and get your name shouted out every episode like this. Fred Fidoa, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, Kurt Chang, Shuba Singh, John Lee, and Debo. Thank you. Yeah, that, that stuff, it just, it just means a lot. It's very encouraging. The independent art struggle is real. And I really appreciate if you have the ability to support financially for five or 15 bucks a month makes a bigger difference to me than you may realize. Also, though, just tell people about the show. And one of the ways that you can do that is by reviewing the show. I said I would like to get to 50 reviews. We have made it no further since I said that last time. The goal is still there, though. Go go to your Apple Podcasts app. Click on smash smash a five-star review. Uh, put a, Put some words in there if you'd like. And I'll read them on the podcast. I'll, I'll say your thoughts, you know, respond to Owen if you want. And yeah, that's, that's really all I've got. Tell people about the show. Thanks for listening. And here's Owen. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I So what are you doing? Create like, what's your, what are your creative outlets at the moment? My creative outlet at the moment is the smoke break. It's, Something that um, I've been trying to hone. I have a vision for where I want it to go. Um, but essentially, the way I see it, and again, stop me if you hear a delusion of grandeur. <laughs> no, I, I'm here for a delusion of grandeur. Um, I think we need a postmodern way to use social media. Um, I think it is just a solid wall of images that are just going to just you, you're just gonna get brain dead. Like literally going through through Instagram, like it's like putting my brain in a microwave for like ten seconds. I'm like, oh god, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and so what I do with the smoke break is I take Twitter and I put it in Instagram and just tell that narrative, that story in a way that I try to get the stand up comedy beat in the narrative as you're reading. Like I write the stuff on Twitter as a, as a format, but you all read yeah. it in the ones. But if you have Instagram, you can break it up. And kind of deliver it. And over the short span, I keep it to 25 frames um, with graphics and visuals in there. I try to tell a, a narrative that gets a bit absurd. And it is about kind of, I would, I would say bigger topics, but I want it to be quite incisive. Like if, if we're talking about racism, like there's a story that's in there. Um, that I kind of wrap and weave and, and get people to kind of buy into like, 
a bit of a surreal principle. And then I, I, I expound upon that to kind of let my big narrative out. So um, for one, there was one called uh, Captain, and it was about um, how I found um, a pornographic magazine in uh, an airport uh, shop, right? And mm-hmm. the narrative starts off with why is this actually here? Because who can read this? Who would be buying it? And then you get to the absurdity that it's the pilots. The pilots are reading it, that the rates of pilot murder-suicide have actually gone up while all the other safety standards are quite the same. Um, but they have autopilot. But then you have incidents of, of pilots being found that be using pornography and doing lewd things in the cockpit. And so it's not beyond the. Pale. Is that true, or is this part it's, of your? It's true. So that's okay. the thing is, I use kind of true things to support this kind of surreal narrative that I'm painting, and yeah. then I bring it back to something like, well, pilots are going on strike, people are feeling underpaid. Like, there, this might be the only thing that's keeping your plane in the air is a pilot <laughs> being able to kick back and take a look at this hustler magazine. Sure. Right. And so it's all quite dark, like obviously, you know, dark comedy, but I would like to get the writing to a point where there is a message and I'm telling somebody, you can't tell them what to do, but yeah, yeah, a mirror in social media. Is, so wait, so this is just the name of this series of Instagram stories is the smoke break. It's the smoke break. And it was designed to be something that you can consume in that five minute window. If you're talking to somebody, whether you're smoking a joint, whether you're smoking a cigarette, that conversation, that kind of the little bubble, the little worlds you create with you and your Mm -hmm. smoking partners before you head off. That's all I want is five minutes of your time to say, oh shit. Okay. Back to work. So you've, you're, this is very consciously like the thing that you are focused on creatively at the moment. It is. It is. Are you saving these? Are these, are, or are you just like when they go, they go. When they, after the twenty four hours, they disappear. They're all saved on my profile. Okay, gotcha. Oh, there's, gotcha, there's, gotcha. There's, there's seventeen. Some are better than others. Um, but what I plan to do is get the repository of the good ones because I have a format that I want to put them out in. I have another page that's private now that is for the smoke break and it has its oh, own yeah. aesthetic. And I'm just trying to trying to wheel it out from there. That's cool, man. That's fun. Is it, I mean, are you feeling like satisfied? I, I feel satisfied. Like as soon as you write one or there's a bunch of things that have yet to be written, like they're, they're there, but I'm, I'm missing the turn. And it, it's like, I could put something out mm. there, but I need the thing that, that ties it off. Because with stand-up comedy, I really enjoy being on stage. And I got to the point where I said, I don't know if I'm getting, like I enjoy getting the last back, but it's a quick hit. And I didn't know if I wanted to do what it took to be a professional stand-up comedian because everybody knows how hard that is in the inside the mm-hmm. industry, but I still wanted to get something out. And so you get to a point where you're like, huh, I could do this five nights a week until I'm 40, or I can find another place to put these thoughts that has the same weight. Um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of been a grapple. Yeah. Yeah. Respect, man. Then you're do- so wait, but you're still doing stand up on your birthday. Did you do it on your birthday last year? I did on my birthday every year for the last nine years. So, whoa. So literally once a year. Is, there were, is your... 
there were once a year I have to get on stage, regardless okay. of the situation. Even during COVID, I did a, like an Instagram live thing. Sure, 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 sure. But yeah, I think year, I was. I went to. I went to that. I think you did. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Um, and I always yeah. tell people they're like, "Oh, you should do it more." And I'm like, "Yeah," but then I think about the admin of stand-up comedy and how much it takes. Yeah. Which I, I like again. I'm always I'm always toying with the idea because um, it's never a bad show. Even on like because everything's always so if you do it once a year, it's always new material. And if you right. get people laughing throughout your set, it's like okay, I have enough of a skill set not to bomb on my birthday. Well, you think in a very your 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 thinking is very takes the form uh, even even the smoke break like bits you're talking about take the form of stand-up comedy writing. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like you have these where at times, like we'd be like chatting mostly in like later years when we're seeing each other, like, you know, once a year, every three years or something. And I'm like, is Owen like doing a bit right now? But it's not. And it's like, the answer is like kind of yes, but it's not really. It's just like, this is just how this dude thinks. You know what I mean? And like, Yeah. Yeah, it it is to the point where I actually put stand up comedy on my resume, and it's probably the thing okay. people pick up on most. Like I use sure. it, I use it in my job. Like even after my birthday, they're like, "Oh, can you do a thing on stand up comedy for like all the people in strategy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." We could digress endlessly, but let's digress within the format of the show. Absolutely. And I'll start by asking you. Owen Black. Owen Jefferson Black. What's your middle name? Michael. Owen Michael. I knew that. I knew Owen yeah. Michael Black. You down with OMB? I'm down with OMB. What is you know what, <laughs> what paint your hell? I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. There is I, I think that the Bible and all these things are written in things that you can visualize. Like hell can't be something that you can't experience. And the most hellish thing I could imagine is like starving, but then also waiting in line. Um, okay. So like if I was waiting in line for rice and it's kind of like the end of the world, the end of the world is my hell, I think. Like that scenario okay. of global But people warming. painted the end of the world in very different ways. Which end of the world is it? I think, I think it's that global food shortage. I, I okay. like to eat and- <laughs> Sure. And I, I really, you know, that there's, there's, there's an, ang- there's an anxiety of that. And then also again, waiting in line, it feels very mundane. So I had to add a, like a starving in it. Like you could just say waiting in line eternally or, or can I change my health? Like, can it be a, yeah, a, a of Dante's? Uh, okay. So I've, I've thought about this, um, beforehand, but I, I think another hell is experiencing something knowing that you'll never experience it ever again, but just a continual new, new experience, knowing that you're never, ever going to encounter another experience of that again. Yeah, a good experience? Yeah. Good, bad. Like just considering like everything is new because there's a, there's a certain amount of consistency that human brain needs. Or like if you were to look at somebody, encounter somebody and say, hey, but knowing that when they leave, you're never going to see them again. There's no continuity to your life. It's just just one different experience all the time. I think that's too much. Okay. But it's not like you're not saying that 
Because in the lives we have that do have some continuity, I've had experiences that I'm pretty sure are going to be the only time I'm going to experience them. But I am kind of okay. I'm like, you know, this vacation destination I would like to go back to. But this other one, I'm fine with this being the only time I go to New Mexico. I've never been to New Mexico, but that's just the one I'm thinking of. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I kind of do want to go back to all the places that I've been. But uh, Canterbury in in England, I went once. And I'm like, I'm fine with not going to Canterbury anymore. I had an amazing time there. I thought it was beautiful. I loved it. But is... Are you saying that even that experience is hell or the hell is having them all piled up? Like if you just never got to do anything twice, you never got to see anybody twice. You just had to like go through it. And it's like you meet somebody and you like you wave off. You're like, I'll never see that person again. You don't get to have your wife twice. Like you see, like there is nothing that belongs to you. You're just experience the next thing all the time. This is like an inverse Groundhog Day or something like that. Exactly. Groundhog Day is one, because some people say, oh, their hell would be just constant monotony. I think the same could be said about constant newness. You don't have, there's no grounding force for you. You're just wandering. I guess that's what it is. You're literally just wandering. Yeah, no, I... I feel that. I I liked your first one though too cuz I felt like it was a very simple simple you know oftentimes the the choice with that this question presents you with is are you going to go physical, are you going to go mental, That's, are you going to go is it going to be social? The first one is very is very basic, very human need like I can feel that. I can, can I can visualize that and see that. It isn't intellectual. But it combi- but it well, I think it combines a lot though, because starvation, you know, is a physical suffering. Waiting in line isn't technically physical suffering. If you if you know, if you I mean, I guess you could argue like if you're standing the whole time, but for, forgetting anxiety. about that. It's anxiety. It's 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 mental. Plus, starvation is kind of a heightened life or death thing. Waiting in line, very mundane. You're just covering all of the bases there in a way that is very, it's very elegant. It's simple, satisfying. Waiting in line. I'll take that. No, 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 no. But I like your. You can have both. You can. You can have. You can have it all. It's a. It's a layer. Okay, two layers. (laughs) What do you hope happens when you die? My grandmother is always in that, in my, in my vision of saying, like, seeing her. But if I had to say what I hope happens when I die, um, there are some people that I just want to see again and just want to make sure that they're there. Like, there's a contentment of, like, I would almost call it, like, like, like heaven would be like an ignorant safe place where I just go to bed knowing that everything is okay. That's it. I know that these people are there, my mother, my grandmother. That's, that's it. Very simple, but not feeling any worry or anxiety. That's, that's what it is. Like there's a simple day. Doesn't that, like I think when I, when I thought about heaven, I said, what does it look like? And it's just literally a day off where I'm not worried about anything. And it's not even a day off, but it's just, I don't know about you, but 
anxiety feels like it creeps up. And it's just this constant hum, like whether it be from my phone, with all of that. And I know there can't be any anxiety in heaven. If there's one feeling that doesn't exist in heaven, it's anxiety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, feeling, feeling anxious about the next day. So that's, but if it had to be a visceral thing, um, that day would be in France, in the south of France, walking okay. through the streets, eating gelato. I had wow, one French experience. gelato. I've I had never... one experience. I was in um, a place called uh, Arles. It's um, Vincent Van Gogh was there for a while. I was, I was staying there for like two or three days. And it was the nicest, sunniest day. And I got gelato. And I was walking through the, through the streets. You see like all these kind of Roman ruins. And I got another gelato. And there was an old man that I saw on one town, side of town when I was eating gelato. And he was walking and then he saw me again eating gelato and he looked at me and he goes like, that's the life. And then he walks off like in that moment, I just realized I said, this is it. This is as content as you can be walking through the city all day, eating gelato, worried about nothing. That's contentment. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's and and very. um you know, we're we're rubbing up against this might be a way that you're sneaking in multiple memories to relive at the same time. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I like it. Yeah. So it's a it's an experience, it's it's emotional experiences. It's the presence and absence of specific psychological and emotional experiences. I, I think so. I think so. There's um there's something about like ignorance being bliss and I don't think that, I think that's really, really true. Like the older I get, the more true I feel that is. And as I get older, I know more stuff. And I'm like, man, I wish I didn't know as much as I do. But how old were you walking through the south of France with the gelato? Younger than 35. I would have been. (laughs) (laughs) I would have probably been, let's see, that was uh, 2016. 2016. So how? Okay. You're 28. Mathematical. Yeah. 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 But I mean, still, it's not like you knew nothing. You weren't completely ignorant. You were just in enjoyment. Why? Why? Did you feel ignorant? Is it? Do you not think you could have that day now? To be honest with you, I don't know if I could. Not that I I couldn't be content. Not that I couldn't be content. Not that I couldn't be content. but there is, there is something that happens when you get older um, and you have more experiences, be it the heavier experiences, that it does kind of tint how you, how you look at things. Like, um, like, oh, man, this is good. Like my grandmother, like at one point she was on antidepressants, right? But she got, she got older. She was like in her 90s. Like now she had great days. Um, but there were so many things kind of that she had already seen before. Um, that I don't, I don't know if she thought there were going to be days that were going to eclipse those days. Not to say that all my best days are behind me because they're not, but right. where am I going with this? It's <laughs> like, I actually, you know what? Take that back. I look forward to having that moment again. I shouldn't, maybe that's it. It's that if you talk, look back at the hell that I painted, Maybe the fear that I won't have that day is a is a type of hell in itself, and I should reserve 
being able to say, no, that day is going to happen again. I will be that content to be walking through the south of France eating gelato and not care. Well, it doesn't sound like it takes that much. I know it's hard to en- engineer emotional experiences, but for you to just be walking around, I mean, I find it helpful not to have a bag uh, th- that that really changes my like I, I experience more anxiety when I'm walking around with a backpack on. Um, mm. when I don't have a bag, uh, it's, it's, I feel freer. Um, and that's, and that's also kind of one of the hells of diabetes is that I have to always have, have a, a, a like blood sugar testing supplies on me. So I always have to at least have a pouch that's making my back pocket stick out a little bit more, constantly aware of it. These are like tiny things, but all yours, all yours takes here. You could easily unburden yourself. Were you alone? Yeah, I was. So you go alone, you get some gelato, go on the right day of weather. I mean, you could you could get close to having this day again, right? It, it's 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 weird to look at that day and to feel like it was a long time ago when it wasn't that far ago. I know, but it wasn't, it wasn't. For for in thirty-five, what seven years ago? I mean, that's twenty percent of your life. That's I I mean, seriously though, I wonder from my mental state then to where I am now. Even my writing, because even if I look at the, the stand-up I was writing about, what I write about now, mm-hmm. there was like a significant change. Okay. Like there there might have been a, a shift. Like, I'm not gonna lie, like the pandemic. As much as you kind of want to keep calm and, and, and move on, like that's still in that's still in your mind. Or you, you yeah. kind of look at the the economic situations, you know, you read things about the UK, and it's like, oh, they're going down. It's just it's just not gonna come back up. Like the standard of living it, like maybe these things are all blinders. Like maybe we, we like to to us being content, like maybe we sh- mm. not to say that we shouldn't hear it, but like maybe everything's just fine. The only thing that's changed is I'm hearing about everything that's not good. Man, I think about that all the time. Because I, you know, I, there was a phase like around high school and college and post-college for me where I was like, oh, being into news is like a hobby. That's a type of person. Whereas mm-hmm. now I'm like, dude, you don't get to just unplug and not be, it's kind of your fucking responsibility to be, to know about some shit. Like everyone's going to choose pick and choose a little bit but yeah i do wonder if i if it what if it was always this way so to speak my, you know my relationship to news changed i used to get the guardian news app on my phone and okay. i remember i you know you get the notifications first thing in the morning like basically when you wake up right and i think it told me like either david bowie died or prince died and i'm like I get that news and like then I go brush my teeth. Like that's not how I want to Right, 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 right. Yeah, you want to find out you live in a princeless world with a clean mouth at least. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's yeah, you know, you have to like control the intake of news. Um and I, sure. and I don't know. You know, with I mean, I really wonder if if we're like the the whole thing of like are these new burdens of knowledge are they blinders to contentment or is contentment blinder you know the the pieces of happiness that you have are those blinders to like the brutal reality of life like 
it feels like there's no answer to that. And you just have to choose whether you're going to be miserable or, or see some essential good somewhere in the world, you know, red pill or blue pill, man. (laughs) Yeah. But in a very specific way, not in In the the, traditional. yeah, Yeah. 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 So what about funeral planning? You have funeral plans? Um, I know exactly how I would want my funeral to be, but I don't know if I could get it. Um, what? What? Why? So my gr- my grandmother. So we're from we're from South Carolina, and mm-hmm. there is a style of of music that predates gospel music that exists in our region. Like there's like a, a YouTube channel where you can hear it, and it's like get video footage from like the '90s of people doing it. It's what's it's, it called? It's um it's called hymn raising. Um, and, and what they would do is like one person kind of starts it. It was, it's kind of, it's metered in such a way that it was designed. So they take verses from the Bible, but then they make those like harmonic, um, so that they could pass on the readings of the Bible to people who couldn't read. They would just sing Mm -hmm, it out. mm -hmm. And so people would do this and it's like, it's like modal. So then everybody joins in and they keep repeating phrases and stuff. But stylistically, that stuff is falling off. It's rural traditions. And I remember at her funeral, um, we call them a homegoing, people were singing that in the entire church. And I'm like, that's all I want is that I recorded that song. And she went, when they were singing for her, like I turned my phone on and I said, I have to record this because this is only going to happen here. And I, and I actually don't know if people will be able to do it by the time I leave. Just because it's a dying language sort of yeah it's a it's a dying it's a dying art form yeah what was the hymn that or the specific verse um it's that so and i won't know her specifically but there's um there's some that it's like bread of life bread of life feed me till i want no more right and they'll say that and then they'll literally just elongate all of the different words to kind mm-hmm. of pick it up, you know, and, and they'll just go in and out. And there's so many things like there's one that's like Hezekiah, you got to die. And it's just little things from the Bible, but just these. And I, like, I really appreciate that community because it's like a very kind of hardworking. I appreciate, I don't think every form of Christianity really is looking at God the same way. Right. They might be, you know, they might say, yeah, oh, sure. Methodist, Baptist. I think that their understanding of God was about endurance. Um, and so they're very hardworking. Um, and when you hear the hymns, it's like, OK, it all makes sense. Like they 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 they're the type of people that like count up everything at the end of the day. And I'm like, do we hit the target? Do we miss it? It's all right. We'll come back the next day. Like I like that mentality. And that's kind of how the funeral feels like you're just a measure of the man that's in the box and people sing to that. So does that mean that people can disappoint the measurement and that like the funeral, like doesn't like if they're like, Oh, it didn't add up. Or is it just like ultimately accepting of whatever this person's life was? I mean, mean? I've never seen, in that community, anybody bury somebody that was a that was a bad man. But this is just the the people that were around. Like it's very wholesome. Yeah. Like I've I've never I've never heard anything bad come out of out of that community. Those people. Now again, it's quite small. Um, but 
and my mom will tell me, y'all, such and such passed away. And like to tell me somebody that I will not remember passed away, like says a lot. You don't think that's just a mom thing? Um, it could be. I only have one mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is different. Like, cause I have, you know, like um, on my, on my dad's side of the family, every now and then you, you get somebody that like, it's like, oh, okay. All right. There was a mix. People have mixed feelings. Mm, sure, 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 sure. I mean, that's a pretty high. Se- I, I feel like most people have mixed feelings about most people. Like, I think they're, they're going to have. Mixed, I don't know if they, I. I in my mind, like I'm telling myself that people are going to have mixed feelings. I, I would love to know what the mixed feelings would be. I would because no one's going to tell you to your face. Right. Well, yeah. Mind. But they don't even. I mean. Anyone who feel I mean, I know from experience that anyone who feels compelled to speak out when someone dies is also not really showing the negative. The worst thing they're doing is going, oh, he was a li- he was a thorny character or he was he was a little bit hard to deal with sometimes. But that's because and then they say the good thing. You know what I mean? It Listen, it, ta- it takes um it takes a lot to do it in front of the family, like just to say it. Yeah, yeah, them, yeah, like- for sure. For sure, you want to be you want to be like you want to be privy to those conversations on the outskirts of the room, in the corners of people whispering and going, "Yeah, but he was." I mean, you know, he, yeah. he never picked me up from the airport, and I always picked him up for or whatever. You right, know what I mean? Right. You know, like if, if yeah, if anybody has the like, if they have the 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 gall to stand up before your family. And say something bad about you, like you you did it, like you <laughs> you were that guy. That yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, for sure. Definitely says as much about you as it does about that. That's not just an asshole. That's like, well, maybe I don't. I don't know. What other than the hymn raising would you want? Um, for for my funeral. Yeah. I had a I had a joke, but it's it's not gonna. I used to say um, to have all my laugh tracks together. Actually, I think what it would be is I would like to have all of my notebooks laid out before people so they can read it word for word. Mm, all of yeah, them. All of them. You don't do you? You don't have like private diaries they or anything. Won't be private anymore. Um, okay. No, I I I really think. Um, I've been writing in notebooks. I, one one Christmas, I asked my mom for. She asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I just said notebooks and pens, and she got me just that notebooks and pens, and wow. I was happy. And I still have those high school notebooks. I even lay those out. Those are embarrassing, um, but I feel like somebody should see those too. Um, I love it, like a little museum of Owen, basically. They have to, because you like at the end of the day, like that's that's kind of all you all you really got left, like. Is, is those words. So I think everybody should see him. When you're making things, you know, cause, cause you're working in, you know, the smoke break thing is, is, is a bit of a, you know, even though you've got it saved on your Instagram profile, these stories are like an ephemeral medium, you know, mm-hmm. um, are there specific things that you feel like specific ideas that you want to leave behind or is it just the process of of thinking this way that's important to you while you're alive? 
I, I do think the process is important. Um, there used to be this thing I used to say uh, when we had like I had like a little poetry crew back in university. And I would say like if it isn't written, it isn't real. Like that, mm. what you're experiencing is is nothing until you write it down. And there's something about physically taking your hand and putting it into matter what it is in your brain, um, like just down on something that makes it something, everything else, the words are just vibrations, you know, your thoughts are, or whatever's going on. They're just synapses and, 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 and electricity or whatever it is. I guess that's what's up there. Um, so yeah, so, you, so I felt like you got to write it down, but otherwise like the experience of being, of being black too, is another one. Um, that I think I capture that, but I don't put a lot of that on stage. I don't, you know, try to be explicitly black on stage as like a black comedian would be. Yeah. But I think even the way of thinking that I talked about earlier about you kind of like, it's not a, it's, it's not a white comic way of thinking. You know what I mean? It's definitely like, in the black storytelling comic tradition, like it's clear that you've watched certain, you know, I would yeah. guess that you've like saw, seen a lot of Chris Rock specials and like watched Richard Pryor I, and yeah, that kind of stuff. But you know what? I'll say this. I wonder how much of the black community delivery comes from growing up in a black household. Like sure. It, totally. Because like, my family is funny, like, and the way yeah. that we talk to each other is like it's it's built on that. Um, but not that it's just funny, but like there, there's a cadence to how we do it, and that you know you just mm -hmm. chop it up and put it on stage. You're like, oh, I can I can say that that way. And I'm just gonna in, put this into the into the delivery. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I and I also think that you know, in terms of like the black your black experience, like coming out. I think about that um those playlists you would make of uh, the mm. music every Friday. Uh what was it what was the name of the play? I could, uh, High I Five Friday. High Five Friday, yeah. Um and there was so much um like South American music and African music, you know, that even in and like a lot of hip hop obviously that's different than ju like just just your taste was like evidence of you as a um an expat in Britain you know listening to music from the African diaspora you know what i mean and yeah. i think it comes through like pretty pretty, pretty in a way that's cool yeah. i think where you don't have to try to force to be like i'm the black nerd i'm Whatever well, that's, you know. Well, that's so that's so important. I, I feel like this this is a, a generation has hit where, when I was coming up in school, there was a black card that you could lose or that you had to renew right, or could right, be revoked. Right. You know all of that, and then you see people like Donald Glover or like Jordan Peele, and the way they put their stuff. Now, obviously, if you look at who they are not their output, right? So their output has like an ostensibly black, like this is going to be our casting and this is what we're going to do. But mm -hmm. if you look at them and their catalog, 
it is black, but it doesn't have to be labeled as such. Like you can look at everything Donald Glover has done and say, okay, wow, you can tell he's a black person that's put this, but it doesn't just scream black. Right. Like you're right. There's a there's a nuance to it, and I appreciate that because sometimes, and I think especially in this era, and I'm going to say post George Floyd, where when everybody's looking into black art, if you look at a lot of the black art scene, the artist depicts black people in the artwork as if to tell the audience a black person drew this, so you can support Mm. it. Like it becomes Mm -hmm. our own kind of kitsch. Right. Right. Well, and yes, yes, a a way of like perpetuating your own marginalization in a way. Yeah, and and not to say that any of that's because I like that stuff too. Um, But it's you know it's it's the thing of like, well, if I just did like a Mondrian, like, are they gonna know that they can buy it from me? (laughs) Like, right, 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 right. You have to like it has to be part of the the story or something, you know what right. I mean? Or, or your Mondrian has to be using like black, red and green instead. Exactly. Of, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even like, I also don't want to say that. I, I don't think one is better than the other. Like, I don't think it's like, I think it's okay to scream, you know, I'm yeah. black or whatever. Like, th- do you know uh, Pink Sifu? That yeah, uh, yeah, I do know Pink his Sifu. his records are. I mean, he has like some really different records, but that one record was it called like America or was it called Negro or maybe he has Something one like called it. both. And it's these are fucking like noise, like punk and noise records from a rapper that are like definitely screaming about the black experience in America, and it's like. That's valuable too. I I don't know. Yeah, no. I, just, I, I, I think it's the important thing being like there's not there doesn't have to be one way to do it. And that's and that's like that's the the freedom that I, I think everybody's looking for, um, especially artistically in the black community is is like you hear it on Instagram all the time. Like, don't box me in. Like, everybody's right. constantly trying to break out of the definition of 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 blackness. Like, like we've we've been defined as. It, even even the even the concept of black is defined against white, mm-hmm. so it automatically puts a boundary against itself just by its identification. Like that's why it exists. Like the black art movement um, coming out of the '60s was about pushing against the style. So it 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 exists because of that. And like even we have some conversations about have we will we ever go past black like do we have will we ever shed will, will will black as a concept ever lose its purpose for us does it ever hold us back does it move us forward like all of that yeah i mean totally it's i it's the same with whiteness where it's like all this shit hurts everybody you know what i mean it's just like so clear to me that it's like you know I don't say this in a way that some people do, but like the Irish were black in America, like, or, or, or in, in a very, like, uh, very, very, I, I, it's, it's <laughs> tra- I said it, I'm like, it, you know, a very much like lowered social class. And the point being that they were excluded from whiteness. Now 
I've got hella whiteness on my side. And it all it does is like blind me to certain realities. You know, when when we talk about like, were things always this way? Was the world always this way? You know, I think my eyes have been opened and being pushed like very politically left since 2020. Um, and connecting that to all sorts of other things in my life that already existed, punk rock and and growing up with with like DIY culture and stuff and a lot of the music that I listen to. It it where am I going with this? It 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 pushed me in a direction of seeing that like that things are bad. <laughs> and yeah. and that and that like things have been bad for a lot of people at the part of groups that I'm not in that I've just not known about. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, okay, well, clearly some of this is on me where I am just being like tuned into the channel that's like, hey, newsflash, things have been bad for a pretty fucking long time. Welcome to the club of people who know that. Um yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I also feel like I'm like explaining all of this to you, which feels fucking horrible. <laughs> Well, no, it's 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 one of those things where it's because you you mentioned like the like the Irish and and I always go back. I, I never the concept of tap dancing, right? In America, we think of Irish as white and and black people as like almost like polar opposites in certain right. areas. But tap dancing only exists because the two communities had to they coexisted and they made an art form that takes Irish river dancing and like black music and it combines it. And that's why tap dancing even exists. So to like, to, to wow. say, yeah. I didn't so know to that. say, yeah, nobody knows that. And it's almost like, if you have that relic that's saying like tap dancing exists, it's like, so all of this division is like, it's, it doesn't have to exist. We could, we can coexist and we can make things done. Yeah. Yeah. So you want tap dancing at your funeral? <laughs> I, think, I think so. Relive one memory. What's a, if, if in the afterlife you had to choose one single memory that you got to relive anytime you wanted, fully drop down into and re-experience, but you have to pick one, mm. what memory do you choose? Before I moved to the UK, I went to Brazil for the World Cup um, with my wife. Um, wow. Yeah, we were we had we had been broken up. We got back. She was living over we knew long distance for like five years, and this was a trip. Basically, the first time we saw each other before I, you know, well, sit last night. I came over in, in April, but really, kind of being like together, and we were in this place, Salvador da Bahia, so in the in the north of Brazil. And we were just on the beach and it was brilliant weather. And it was just us out in the water, just on the beach, just playing around. And there is something, and I'm, and I'm going to come back. I'm, I've been trying to weave it together. But this idea of just like being, being ignorant and feeling safe. And ha there's something about just the two of us being in that situation. No one else around. Um where I felt absolutely content, like to, to think, cause my wife has almost been in my life uh, longer than in it, than, than she had outside of it. You know, we've mm -hmm. been together for like 13 years. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And to think that was the the moment that we experienced together right before I moved to the UK and just kind of up sticks and, and left. Um, that's probably the thing that I would relive that day. Um, that'd be it. Like we, we ate, you know, just, in, just putting around Brazil. So walking around the street, flip flops all day, um, eating street food. Cause everything's just about everything's outside. Um, mm-hmm. being hustled by street vendors, even that navigation, um, Cause she, she's quite, she, she likes to haggle in a way that's like quite mm-hmm. aggressively haggling. So like <laughs> watching that experience, watching, she's watching her as another person. And in that, in that environment, I think I do it again, Annie as a, in, in a heartbeat. You, this is the second time you've said ignorant about yeah. these types of experiences. Is ignorant really the right, the right word? Cause it doesn't sound like the right word to me. It just sounds like protected and and safe and not a moment of relief from the anxiety of life. But tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if ignorant does feel right to you. I think I got into a a, a, a mode of overthinking. Mm. Um, I think I started overthinking things. Um, Bef- and I don't like know- after that. Or before, or your well, whole life. Or? Since since I've been in the since I've been in the UK, things get a lot more serious. You know, you you get married. You you have mm-hmm. like almost like this ticking clock of like the things that you have to do. Right, right. And 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 I was just in a different headspace. Um, and I like that. I was you know I'd like to get back there, even as a comedian. Like on stage, like people would be like, man, just everybody just wants to enjoy your presence. And like I, mm-hmm. I felt like okay, yeah. And, and I, I rem- you know, wanting to go back to that. And I guess ignorance is the wrong shorthand because I don't know how, because what I described, like, oh, I'm just more knowledgeable now. No, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the case. Do I feel like, do I feel less confident in how I would navigate the future? Yeah. So then you feel worried. And so you say, well, if I didn't know about these things, ignorance feels right, but maybe I just want to feel more capable. Mm. I, I don't know something to where it's just like I can take anything that comes. Maybe and, you know, maybe I can. Maybe I need to give myself more credit. But well, I mean, that se- it just seems impossible. I, who can take anything that comes? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, or 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 at least know they can before they do. The whole like you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. It's like, well, it sure feels like it, but just then at the same time, do you know Jocko Willink? No. Oh, man. This guy is like uh, a Navy SEAL that wrote a book on like, I don't know what it's called, called like unflinching responsibility, something crazy. (laughs) And he has a he has a video on YouTube. You watch it. It's I think it's called good. And basically his whole approach to everything is you give him a bad situation. He just says good and flips it on its head. But then there's like rock music in the background. So it's just like Sarge, right. like our tank blew up and we're in the middle of Saudi Arabia and like there's nothing. He's like, good. We'll get to stretch our legs on the walk. Like everything oh is just God. it's this over the top stoicism to the next level of like everything. Right, is, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, th- I think that's what it is. I think this the proliferation of stoicism really kind of killed an outlook. For a lot of people, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's go to let's go back to Brazil because I want to hear about. Yeah. So, because it, it, this wasn't a one day trip. So why? It, it sounds like there's one specific day though that was so magical. If if I had a ring to give, I would have given it on that day. 
an engagement ring. If I could, have, okay. if I could go back in time and have engaged, it would have been on that day. Um, the light was great. We have pictures. Um, uh, obviously, we have pictures. We have pictures of everything. But um, th- and there's a reoccurring theme, like we're, when we end up on a beach. But another thing about Salvador de Bahia is that, again, not to harp on the blackness, because I say, oh, I'm not black. I'm saying all of a sudden on the podcast, I'm black as hell. So, but, um, please. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is take that away from you. <laughs> but um, the, it's, a, it's a very African city inside of Brazil. Um, mm. it's, it's like their black capitals, like the, and so there's, there was a, a sense of freedom of walking around in a place where kind of everybody looks like us. Um, we went to Africa recently and had that same experience as well, where you just feel kind of, you feel very warm, like, and again, even on this beach, there's no one around, but that framework of where we were, it just, it just had a different type of meaning that. I don't. I don't think we've had since. You know, we've we've gone on other vacations, other trips, and there've been other trappings around it. But this one was really just about us. I was coming to the UK. We I got tickets to the World Cup somehow, and we ended up in Brazil. And this wasn't even the game. wasn't even in that city. We just took a, a trip. We'd never been there before. I you know. Mm. So I mean, you weren't staying there. This was a one day trip to this. Specific this it was city. it was a, it was a like two two three days, but. You know, obviously you get the day where you're packing up all your bags and you're, and right. you're kind of getting the feel. And this was our alone day, like our just, what are we going to do? Oh, let's waste the day. And so you weren't together, but you were serious enough that you were moving to the UK. Give me the like state of the relationship. So it got complicated. Um, we broke up in 2012. We broke mm-hmm. up in 2012. After, you know, because the Mayan end of the world stuff, you the, the Mayan in the world. So what <laughs> happened was we were always because in our own long distance relationship, you have to have a moment where you're going to come together. And I was trying to move to the UK, wasn't really working. And she had said, oh, maybe I can move to Chicago. And I said, uh, and I think I hesitated on the question just mm. a bit too long. And somehow that blew up. And for a year, a solid year, we were just broken up, weren't even talking on the phone. And that was the year I started comedy. We had wanted to go to, oh, this is background. We had wanted to go to Brazil together anyway. And so in 2013, I have like a little like quarter life crisis and I plan a trip to Brazil and I go the first time to Sao Paulo. I start learning Portuguese. Everything is great. I pick up stand-up comedy. Okay, okay. We get back together and I have these World Cup tickets and now we get to come back to Brazil and have the moment that we said that we both wanted to go to Brazil. So maybe they, you're right. There's more to that story that I cut it off at the knees and really like it, it was a buildup. It was a buildup to that. So day. you had decided, Oh, we, we want to get back together. Yeah. We decided to get back together. And you said, and so I'm going to go to the UK and she wasn't like, it, it wasn't like a total reset on the relationship. Mm-hmm. You were able to pick back up. It was. It wasn't a total recess, but it was like a refresh. We had just because that December, because mm. I moved in July, we just got back together in Dece- at like J- January. So then, off of that, I okay. said, "Well, let me move." Yeah. So it was a really quick turn up turnaround from that. And you talk about seeing her haggle, and there's kind of a. It's a very sweet like, because um, you know, one way someone could. It, it, 
feel about their travel partner haggling is like annoyed and like, or like, you know, like just wanting to be, it's stressing them out or something. But, but you have a very like affectionate way of describing it where it sounds like she's just like in her element and you're like in awe of getting to just see her be a person or something. It's a, it's 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 annoying, but it's a thing of beauty because I know it's going to happen. Like, you know, when yeah. you have moments of somebody, you're just like, when this happens, this is going to be their response. And for the next five mm-hmm. minutes, I know exactly how this exchange <laughs> Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and that's how it is. And we ended up haggling for a hammock um, because we drove the price down. But then when we left, we said, oh, how do we hang it up? And anywhere that we went to try to get the hangers, they were trying to charge us like a hundred dollars because we, I think we haggled too hard on the hammock. That is so funny. And so we still have it like wrapped up somewhere, but it's not hanging up. We just have a hammock. <laughs> so it's, but it, but it was, do you think you were especially tuned in to this specific aspect of her personality? Cause you were like in a mode of really, you know, you'd been apart for long enough and you're really appreciating all the sort of folds of who she is. You, you know, I think so. And I also think that might have been the day, again, just for, for drama, um, mm-hmm. where I, I always tell her she had wanted to live to be 120. She would say that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to die at 80. Like, I'm going <laughs> to watch the, the last episode of The Wire because I was late on that. I'm going to say my <laughs> prayers in like three different religions. I'm going to go to sleep and that's it. That's <laughs> Um, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm very, you know, even though we both have to compromise, she's not going to be 120 and I'm not going to be 80. I'm going to die first. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to outlive her. It's very sweet. I know it. I know, but I feel it though. I, I it's good. feel it. It's good. Sweet is good, man. Sweet is good when you feel it. Yeah. What's your coma? A moment of transformation What's... where before you were one version of yourself and after you were another. I can imagine you are very attuned to many moments, many coma-esque moments of your life. But give me one. Mm-hmm. Give me one that's been on your mind, one that you want to talk about. Uh, doesn't have to be the perfect one. Doesn't have to sum up everything that you are. But any moment where you look back and you're like, oh, that was... Uh, that was me before I discovered pumpkin spice lattes and that was me after or whatever it is. Um, oh man. Um, I'm, I swear I'm not trying to t- turn this into like a Joe Rogan podcast, but um, what? I started doing, yeah, I started doing, where Brazilian are we going jiu-jitsu. there? What is that? <laughs> you started doing what? Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I remember this. When, was that in London that you started that? That was, it was in London. It was in London. Okay. And it is a transformative experience fighting for your life, trying not to have somebody choke you to death. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, and, and I, yeah. Yeah. Tell, I mean, how did you even start? Like, what even sparked your interest in it? Well, I'd, I'd never been in a fight before. Just, I'd okay. never been in a, in a physical conversa- confrontation. I'm always like, yeah, no, that's cool, dude. All right. I'll back off. Um, and we do like some some boxing cardio classes or whatever, you know, to get in shape, throwing a punch. But I never punched anybody in the face before. Um, and 
a friend at the that, that kind of ran the boxing thing did jujitsu and said, "Hey, you should give it a try." You know, you listen to, to Joe Rogan, say, so, "Yeah, whatever." Um, and there's an experience of somebody putting their hands on you and trying to to hurt you, and you fighting back, where you're using all of your force, everything to kind of stay alive. That is very exhilarating. I was doing it four days a week, um, mm. and you. You don't know how big or strong or how tall you are, how much you really weigh until you have to exert that effort. Um, and it's it's that like I, I started to think about the, the different ways to kind of move like it's it's I wouldn't even say it's akin to yoga. There's there's something and I don't even want to say that it's primal because that sounds stupid. Um, but I think the day that I started doing jujitsu was a transformative experience. Um, because it changed my relationship with my own body. I think I think that's probably it. Um, I, I always push people on it. I do competitions like I never would have done, like a, a physical fight competition before. Okay. Yeah. Did you find you were good at it? I, I think I am pretty decent. I'm a blue belt now. Okay. Um, Are you still doing it? I, I'm, I still do it. I do it um, four times a week. Well, about four times. I do Monday mornings, Monday afternoons if I can. I do it on Tuesday evenings, Friday, and a Saturday. So I'm at okay. the gym quite a lot. I don't do any other other than cycling. I don't do any other, any other working out. Do you um, um do you feel like like what is the new relationship to your body? Are you just walking around the street feeling like a weapon? Are you looking at people oh, like when I, I first started, I was like, I could choke them out in five seconds. And like, you can hear new, you can hear new people that do jujitsu. They always, t- it's like new, co- it's like new comedians. It's like doing stand up comedy for the first time. Mm-hmm. You said there's multiple transformative uh, uh, moments. That was one. Yeah. Jujitsu is another where when you hear new comedians talk about comedy, you're like, you don't know anything about telling jokes. You don't know anything. You're just talking about how you know the audience. Jiu-jitsu is the same way. You do it and you're like, oh, I can beat everybody. You do it long enough and you're like, actually, anything can go wrong in a fight. You find okay. that you're less, but you do stand to other people differently. Just in conversation. I would go into work. I do jujitsu 7 a.m. in the morning. I come into the office and I'm like, you know what? Nobody in here had somebody try to choke them this morning. So I'm all right. Okay, I yeah, I can respect that, but it it doesn't sound like it. It didn't sound like you tapped into like an aggression. No, but you. But what happens though is you can see your because it's a fight. Who you are mm-hmm. at the core, your kernel of, of uh, the kernel of who you are, comes out. And I was a very defensive person. Okay, that was what people would say. Like, oh, you have a great defense. I have a great defense. I wouldn't attack. I wasn't like outgoing with it like and looking at like how my dad thinks about things and how we think about money and how we just approach life it is a very conservative approach like things can go wrong you need to have a backup don't go out too far but you do it enough and then you start saying well actually i need to tweak this and as you tweak the things in jujitsu weirdly enough you find you can tweak it in your life and I know it sounds, sounds amazing. You're like making me want to like sign up for a gym right now. I don't know how it's, it feels like a cult, but when I say it's transformative, <laughs> there's some, there's some things you do that you just have to experience it um, for yourself. Mark Zuckerberg took it up. Like it's, it's that <laughs> like 
people that you would say you look on the outside like why would you need to do any of this like it is changes the relationship with how you see yourself in in life i, I don't know what to say like a, just a competitive element you against another person and these people become your friends because like they try to choke you and then when you're done you're like hey here's how you could stop me from having choked you before and they like you help each other like you grow through competition well right is it like that's what I was wondering, because the way you're describing it, it sounds like you're in a fucking street fight every time you're doing it. it you are going 100% for five minutes, and no one gets – you don't have to get hurt. Like, it's because it's grappling. It's not punching. So you can do – you can go competition-level speed the entire time, every time, five minutes at a time. Okay. But what – but how do you – if it if it's safe enough that no one's getting hurt, how do you feel the panic of being in a fight? And if you feel the panic of it being in a fight, how are you sure that you're not going to get hurt? Because there's this the system of tapping, right? You tap. So sure. if you if you're if you're getting choked, right, you're going to lose air or it's a blood choke, and you feel lightheaded. You tap, and that's the agreement you have, and you kind of let go. Or if you get in like an arm bar or a knee bar, like you can't get hurt. Like you can you can hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that's your ego and not you saying, actually, let me tap before anything happens, right? Now, again, there's injuries happening, but you can continue to do this day in and day out and not walk away with any injuries at all. Um, And having someone on top of you, just the weight of another person, and again, they're trying to rip your arm off. They're trying to twist your knee. They have you in a rear naked choke and they're trying to like put you out like all of these Mm -hmm. things can maim you but you're doing it in an environment that you say when i tap like it's over but for this time it's like it's like it's consensual violence like yeah so how do you what's your relationship with the tap how do you how do you make sure you're like i i feel like i would get very perfectionistic about being like oh man i could have i could have waited longer before i tapped or like oh i'm tapping uh way too i'm i'm being i'm being egotistical thinking i need to wait on the tap or something they always say uh tap early tap often um okay you because if you get to the point where you are getting do you tap like you've made mistakes to get there it's it's a little game you're playing and because Mm -hmm. you're here now it's because you've made some mistakes. And so it's better instead of you trying to tough out your own mistake, grit it out. Sometimes you just need to like learn that mistake and say in competition, no one's going to, I'm going to tap, but I'm going to lose. When you're with your club, you're all learning and you're teaching each other something. You don't learn. So by the time you're getting into a, 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 you know, a a bar or a restraint or a choke or whatever they're called, you're, It's not like you're going to get out of that final thing. You're like, oh, I made a mistake 15 moves back that got me here. So I might as well tap out because the move here is not for me to figure out how to get out of this arm bar or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then there's some times where they're like, actually, we're, we're going to learn what you're going to practice is like toughing it out and seeing if you can get out. But there comes a point mm-hmm. where you don't like if I was in a if I was in the gym and there was somebody that passed out on the mat because they got choked out. That's his fault. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those like he he you know he tried it. He felt lightheaded and he thought like I don't want to tap right now. And somebody put him out. And like you you just wake him up. You just wake him up. But yeah, you know. yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
they, <laughs> and, and also like you know um like even even dre my wife she she started doing it a little bit you know she she's mm-hmm. not consistent but that i would say is it feels like something that i'll be doing for the rest of my life it it's it's something that, that i'm going to hang on to i'm like no this is something that that if i hadn't have found it um i would have been missing something missing an experience have you felt that like, way with other things and kept up with them or dropped them every year on my birthday i do stand up comedy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love you, man. That this was great, dude. It's fantastic, man. I love talking to you, man. That was Owen. Great dude, right? Love Owen. Join the Patreon dot com slash Dave Mar. Follow Owen if you would like, and thank you. Just thank you for listening. That that's the ultimate intro and outro. It's just like. Thank you for listening, and thank you for having listened. And please come and listen again, because it's just nice to be part of these things. Just nice to take part and know that people are listening. Holy shit, it just it matters, man. And also, thanks for listening to Genre Reveal Party. No more of those episodes are going to be in the, the feed here, so if you want to subscribe, go over to that feed in the show notes and listen to me and Madeline Lee McKinley talk about TV and movies. All right, that's it. Until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracle.